Welcome to the New Zealand Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Paul Spain, along with Gorilla Technology. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from Cloda Hall. Uh, she is General Manager at New Zealand's Sotheby's International Realty and has a wealth of experience in the worlds of sales and marketing uh, from many years working in Adland in Dublin and uh, now based here in New Zealand in the um, Queenstown region. Welcome along to the show, Cloda. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Now, did I get all of that right? You did. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like to hear about myself, so I'm laughing for that reason. Great to have you here. You've come a long way to be based uh, in New Zealand, (laughs) as as so many many have. Maybe give us a little bit of background of, uh, you know, what – what uh, what your career looked like in the early days? How did how did you end up in the world of uh, advertising? Yeah, I went to college and came out kind of undecided, like most people, around what I wanted to do. Had kind of leaned into a creative sort of career, thinking I'd go that path, and decided very quickly that actually business intrigued me a bit more. I applied for jobs um, on one day, good story, whether it's true or not, but on one day I had an application for um, cabin crew with an airline and an advertising agency. And uh, I took the agency, started as a junior and never left that career until I came to New Zealand 18 years ago. Um, and I worked across a number of agencies that would be known worldwide, like McCann Erickson, Ogilvy and Mather, um, Gray International, and had an absolute blast along the way, I have to say. Yeah, look, I, I personally en- enjoyed you know, a number of years working in Adland and, and you know, involved uh, mostly in the technology uh, side of uh, of international, uh, you know, ad agencies and some of those crossing over with the ones uh, you've mentioned um, through to Saatchi's and so on. And during the 90s, I mean, that period was a really interesting, uh, you know, time in advertising. And I think you were involved at, yeah. the, at the same time. What were the things that, that you really enjoyed that kept you there in those uh, early years and, and that you sort of maybe still hold on to Mm. to this day? You know, I think it's, I love to be busy. And I think if you walk into careers like marketing, sales, advertising, you know, you'll have no end of work to do. And and maybe that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it's a very diverse kind of job to take on. And you're dealing with, you know, a diverse range of clients and people. You're with creatives and suits, as we were called in the day. Yes. But what kept me going... And what kept my interest up in that industry were were the whole concept of brands. And to this day, I talk about the brand and people who know me know how passionate I am in that space. Um, I just love that you take an inanimate object and you personalize it. And, and I love that people associate with brands on a very personal level. And yet most people will tell you, no, I don't. I go to the supermarket and I just buy the soap. 
but they don't, you know, <laughs> and we all know they don't. But um, I think that's what kept me engaged um, all those years. And and so I always wanted to continue my career in that kind of area. And so coming to New Zealand then was a bit of a challenge as to how I was going to do that. And here I am, you know, working on probably one of the biggest real estate brands in the world, to be fair. So. Yeah, yeah. And so walk us through maybe some of those brands that, that you worked worked with. I remember you mentioned uh, Coca-Cola. Yep. What were the what were the opportunities and the challenges with working with a, a brand like Coca-Cola? Everybody already knows the brand. Right. It's it's globally yeah. known. That's right. Um, so, you know, what what were the things that uh, that you were able to do with with um, Coca-Cola during that period? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. People say that a lot. You know, they say, well, why does Coca-Cola need to advertise? You know, everybody knows Coca-Cola. Well, the reality is it's 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 two things they need to do. They need to continue advertising because despite the fact you know it, if you don't remind people that they like you, <laughs> you know, it's almost like you need to be, you need to go to the dinner party, you know, for people to remember, remember you. And with Coca-Cola, it was always about keeping a very high brand sentiment in the market so that people would look at it because there was always the battle, you know, with the other cola company. Um, and so you were constantly wanting to reinforce the fact that that Coke was the brand of choice. OK, so it's a really difficult position for a brand when they are number one. Effectively, you got to work really hard to retain that position. So that was a, a massive challenge. But also they have they have Coke is just the one brand within a stable of, you know, a huge portfolio of brands. I personally uh, enjoyed working on the smaller brands within the portfolio. So we, um, I was part of a move by the company to relaunch one of their smaller brands back into the Irish market. Um, and that brand was Sprite, which New Zealanders would be familiar with as well. Not really considered a small brand probably in, in New Zealand at this time, <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. But in the context of the Coke, Coca-Cola portfolio, yes, it yeah. would have been one of the the smaller, the lesser brands, but only because, you know, the the dominance of Coca-Cola and Coke Light and, you know, those brands were so strong. Yes, um, yes. So working on those kind of more niche brands, because the Sprite brand at the time was very young, you know, it was a very young brand. It was appealing to teenagers and, you know, you've got crusty old advertising people trying to tell teenagers how to adopt a brand. <laughs> that was a challenge. Um, and so we really had to think about how do we overcome that and not become the voice of a generation that's not our generation. I mean, I was a lot younger then, but I still wasn't a teenager. Um, so that was a brilliant campaign. And I, I'm still really proud of that. And I, I feel like as a team... I still think that as a performance campaign probably would rank up there as one of the top approaches to a launch, you know. Wow, um, that's great. Yeah. So what what did that look like? How did you get out and, you know, effectively sell sell Sprite yeah. to Ireland? <laughs> the, the difference was we didn't start with the product. We started with the audience. And that might sound really basic, but it's so important to pick you know, you, you've got all these pillars when you're doing advertising. You've got to go on the right track to start. So we looked at the audience and we thought, right, well, we can start with messaging to them because, as I say, you know, we're the crusty ad agency people sitting in the rooms thinking we know what teenagers say. 
So we thought we'll start with where are they? So we looked at where they were hanging out. Um, and that's relatively easy to research in any market. You know, where do teenagers go? What are they consuming? And at that time, it was before the real advent of digital, right? So they weren't hanging out on their phones because they didn't really have them so much. But they were hanging out. And an example of it would be they all had to take the bus. So they were either going to school or going out. They, you know, they're not affording taxis. Uber didn't exist. Um, and they were hanging out at bus stops. And when they were on the bus, they, it was not cool to sit on the bottom floor of the double-decker. You were on the top of the double-decker. And so that's where it started. Where did they hang out? And then we started to um, design and buy media to fit that. So, for example, on the bus, we were in the bus shelters with advertising, but we actually started putting posters on the top of the bus shelter so that when the you know, teenagers sitting on the top deck of the bus, it was only them who looked down and saw the poster on the top of the bus shelter. And that had never been done before. Um, and it was brilliant. So it was unique to them. And they were part of this club that saw this messaging. Um, and then when we did the messaging, we, re we, we did qualitative groups with teenagers to say, are we way off here or are we kind of <laughs> on the money with how you the language you would use and how you would perceive that message? And that sounds really simple, and it was really simple, and so it should be. But it was it took a bit to get to that starting point, you know, to make sure that we got that right. And I think that was the success of the campaign. We actually, we didn't lean into our experience of, oh, we're ad people and we know what we're doing. We, we went the other way and leaned into the audience and said, they know what they're doing and they know what they want. And if this product is going to exist with them, it needs to fit with them rather than we ask them to fit with it, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, talks to the importance of localizing what you do, doing that local research and Absolutely. understanding. And, yeah, we do have so much sort of globalization yeah. uh, today. And, yeah, I see some brands who are in New Zealand, oh, no, they're, they're pulling it. Well, they might be still selling product in New yeah. Zealand, but, oh, we'll run that from Australia yeah. or we'll run it APAC-wide across the region. And, of course, some of these things will be will be quite specific to, to one market or another. I mean, we haven't had double-decker buses in New Zealand until yeah. really sort of recent years for it to yeah. become very, very common yeah. um, and, and certainly not right across the country, right? Mm. So there's always uniques aren't there in, uh, yeah, in each situation so you couldn't have had the I'm picking you wouldn't have had the success that you had uh, if they'd just rolled some global campaign no, and, and said you know throw, throw, throw this advertising in the same place in every uh, country. Uh, absolutely right? and that's back to your point Paul about you know the amount of money that a brand like Coca-Cola would spend on advertising the reason it, it kind of mounts up is partly because they're a smart brand who make smart decisions around that whole localization. And, and, you know, that's true for any brand. If you're not culturally talking to your audience, then you're doing them a disservice. But you're also being slightly disrespectful, you know, because you're saying, well, we'll shoot an ad in France and we'll just roll it out here and that will be fine. And sometimes it might be okay. 
But most times, it's just not going to have a deep connection for people. They're not going to associate with it, you know. So very important that you're talking to that audience in that market. Yeah, it's a, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of some of the some of the TV advertising we get. You know, we get a lot for uh, vehicles. Not that I probably consume. Um, yeah, anywhere near as much because we can we can watch content uh, largely without advertising yeah. today. Um, but there there was a period where, uh, you know, Toyota, um, you know, just kind of they they owned the New Zealand market in terms yeah. of you know cars and and you know that continued that success has continued on, uh, you know, to to a large degree. I'm not quite sure what the um, the the picture will look like if we look out sort of five or ten years mm. with 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 electric um, vehicles, but so much of that advertising is just a, you know, looks like a cut and paste of a right. you know, advert that's filmed somewhere else in the world. They're driving on the other side of the road right. and and, and right. so on. Uh, but there was a period there where uh, there was you know so much focus on on you know just creating something that Kiwis could connect with that was all all produced locally, uh, and it seemed to play out very very well for them. Yeah. I mean, I worked on Ford as well, actually. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Um, and a wonderful experience, and God love them. God knows why they had me working on it, because I'm not particularly great under the bonnet of a car, but maybe because I, I, I'm not too bad on brand. But, um, yeah, it is. I, I think to some degree, and I, I, I don't want to say there's rules for and against, but I think for cars, I think there's a sort of an acceptance that if you see a car ad, that sometimes it is going to be an international sure. ad. Um. But by the same token, it, I, I think the car companies, if there were the budget, that if they did shoot in a local market, I think they'd be very surprised about how that might just elevate the experience for their brand in that market. But it's it's probably one of the categories that I would be more familiar with that would do that. A lot of brands nowadays, you're right. You know, how many people sit down and watch TV and look at the ad breaks anymore? It's you know, it's starting to become like a bit of a dinosaur, isn't it? But there's still opportunity digitally. You're constantly bombarded by advertising. And you still, I think it's even more important nowadays. You have to consider that local connection. You just can't lean into a brand that's global, that has a pot of money that can produce collateral and you just take it and use it. It's it's my opinion, and uh, you know, I I subscribe to it fully, and I don't expect everybody to. But I think brands are missing a trick if they think that that's going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Any other sort of stories that, and things that sort of really stood out for your time in advertising? That yeah, lots. Probably some that I wouldn't be publishing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe one you know example where you really you know felt you learned yep. something or yep. you know something's really uh, stuck with you. Yeah, I think the Unilever brand because I love the diversity of that portfolio. But I worked on the Dove campaign when they launched the campaign about real women. So you know, again, people can argue for and against product. But when a brand steps outside of itself and does something that's not just unexpected, but something that's a bit real, I think that's just really resonates. And when I look back now in these in those 90s, brands and and it just they didn't really do that. You know, it was really new to use what they call real women Um now it's, you know, that's just common, you know, and people will berate brands if they're using those kind of, 
you know, the models who just don't feel like they actually exist in society, really. Um, but then the the brand started to shoot and use real women in the ad campaigns. And as a female in that industry and as a female in business, full stop, that had a pretty big impact on me. I It made me realize the importance of, of breaking down the barriers from the public around advertising and this glamorous kind of area of business that people thought we were all flying off on, you know, business class everywhere and quaffing, you know, champagne and doing no work. (laughs) (laughs) Not every day. (laughs) Not every day. Um, And suddenly this brand were brave enough to say, actually, do you know what? Women don't really, women look like lots of things. They don't just look like this one kind of, you know, thing. And that campaign just really impacted. And I've always remembered it. And I've always stayed fairly loyal to that brand, believe it or not, because of it. Because I've just always felt they were really brave. And and ultimately, it was just a bar of soap, you know. Um, but I think I think the fact that they associated it with us as real people made a big difference. So I really enjoyed that campaign. And I was involved quite heavily with that. Yeah, I guess it, it, it speaks to... That that opportunity or or responsibility to you know to to take advantage of uh, you know particularly as a big brand like that you know has an opportunity to to bring to bring you know really positive change. Yeah, it can influence yeah. absolutely, yeah. and brands should influence. Mm-hmm. You know, you do have a responsibility as a brand, and you have responsibility. We have responsibility as human beings to to behave in a in a way, you know, and and brands are no different because the brands are driven by the people. And if and if the brand isn't reflecting the values, then you know, you've I, I just have a moral compass that says this is important, you know, and, and they are so influential brands, you know, that people in a sort of a almost hidden way that people have to stop and think about. So I love it. You know, I love that that it's kind of a power thing. Maybe it's a bit of a power trip for me, but I enjoy it, you know, that ability to shape things. Now, what happened? You've left the left ad world. How did how did all that come about? What were what were you doing when uh when you when you exited and decided to uh uh pop across to the other side of the planet? Well, I was working in the ad world. I'd been working with Unilever Best Foods and and they contacted us to say that they were shooting a TV commercial for one of their products and they were going to shoot. It was for one of their frozen products, um, the pea brand, Bird's Eye Peas. I've and eaten Bird's Eye Peas. Bird's Eye Peas, yeah, that's the one. And um, they had, uh, the plant was over in the UK in a place called Lowestoft and they were going to shoot there and it didn't happen and you know, the ad industry, like all industries, it can take a bit of time to kind of percolate the concept. So by the time we had come up with the concept for the ad campaign, the idea was we were going to shoot in South Africa because they wanted to shoot in a pea harvest, so in a pea field. Anyway, the long story um, that I'll try and make short is that we ended up shooting in New Zealand. And I was the account director for the brand um, at the time. And so I was heavily involved in the casting for that particular commercial. 
And so we cast, we, we had half the crew come from Europe and half were in New Zealand. And we were casting the lead in New Zealand on video link at the time. And so when um, I arrived down here, we were down to two people for the lead role. And um, the director, who I'm still very good friends with, um, had phoned me because he was here in advance. And he said to me, Claudia, we need to decide which of these guys we're going to pick for this. And so we made a decision. We wardrobed him that night. And 18 years later, he's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) So I married the lead man and moved to New Zealand. Fantastic. Yep. That's very cool. (laughs) Yeah, it is very cool. Um, I think our children are quite grateful that that happened. So so that meant, you know, coming out of the ad industry up there and moving down here. And the ad industry is alive and well in New Zealand. I'm sure it still flourishes. Um, But it just wasn't the right time for me to stay back in there, not particularly when I was, you know, starting a new life, a new relationship, thinking about children. And so I moved to Queenstown. and, and we absolutely love it there. And our kids have grown up there and we're very lucky. But it does kind of preclude a, an ad industry career. <laughs> you know, there's no big ad agencies in Queenstown, certainly still not there. And so I went on a different trajectory from there. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, so you've land, landed in, uh, in Queenstown. Yep. And from looking at your... LinkedIn, it seems uh, you've got pulled into the, the world of real estate reasonably quickly. Yep, yep. Well, I, I arrived in New Zealand and realised, and, 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 I, and I don't mean this offensively in any way, but I'm an Irish girl who grew up in a country that talked about religion and politics my whole life. And I moved to New Zealand and realised that they talk about politics and real estate. So I thought, well, <laughs> no better way than to jump in and find out what real estate is about here. And so I did. I did some marketing for another brand in New Zealand um, and ended up getting my license and selling um, for a few years. Um, but realizing very quickly that I still I wanted to be back in the business side and I wanted to, you know, that it burns deeply in me, that whole advertising brand experience. So, um, yeah. And so I joined um, New Zealand Sotheby's um, eight and a half years ago or thereabouts. Now, I'm really curious about this Sotheby's uh, brand. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think, I mean, the Sotheby's brand has been around, I don't know how many years, must, must, a, a lot, a lot, a, a lot, a lot, <laughs> lot longer than uh, you and I, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so hundreds of years. Yeah. Yet the real estate brand is a, that's a newer piece of the, mm. the puzzle. Mm. Can you give us a little mm. bit of background on that? Yep, yep. So, so the real estate brand started in 1976 and whereas the auction house, which is the Sotheby's brand, was London, real estate is New York. So, and it's still headquartered in New York. So just upstate in Madison County. And, um, and I've been fortunate enough to be over there. It's great, great headquarters. Um, so that started then, but it started in the US and, and, they, and they quickly grew the brand across, you know, the states there. Um, and then in, I believe it's 2004, they um, started to put the push out past the US and into the rest of the world. And the expansion plan happened from there. And, and the brand here in New Zealand was, was taken up with our still current owners, Mark Harrison, Julian Brown, 
in 2005. So they were one of the first countries to take on the brand outside of the US and 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 have done, I mean, of course, I'm very biased, but a, a phenomenal job to grow the brand here in New Zealand. And then I joined around 2013 or 14 with them and we've had a great journey since then and still and they're still having great fun at the moment so yeah so what was it that attracted you to you know you're a you're a brand person mm. what were the things that attracted you to to the brand well first of all I met Mark and Julian and and I still say to this day and they're terribly modest but um it's it's them that keeps me in the brand they're I just love their style the vision that they have for it. Um, we've kind of grown together as well, you know, in terms of how it works in the company. But it's equally the brand for me. I was very familiar with the Sotheby's brand, the auction house, um, having grown up in Ireland and, and seeing it in the UK and across Europe. And I think I was very intrigued. Um, I didn't know at the time the history of the real estate piece. And I just knew that it was the auction house and it was real estate. And I thought, wow, this is kind of interesting. And I felt like that if if there was great emphasis on this brand, then I was interested. But if it was just another real estate company, I, I might not have been. But, but there is great emphasis on the brand. And so I jumped in originally as marketing director when I first joined and have kind of worked, you know, through to where to the kind of role I take today in the business. But I'm still heavily involved in the marketing side of it. And I think if I weren't, you know, I'd probably lose a little, you know, um, because because it's so interesting to market a brand like this in New Zealand. Yeah, so being quite a, you know, quite a new brand when you when you stepped in, and I, you know, I think you know, it's, still, it's still a brand that's, uh, you know, probably, you know, evolving in, in people's yep. mind here. So... Um, what what were the challenges and um, you know how, how did how did you go about mark, marketing um, the business? There's a list of challenges, <laughs> a list of challenges associated to any brand that's trying to come into an established market. Um, first of all, it's just awareness. It's the standard stuff that most brands you know um, come against. So awareness in the market. So it's not just about awareness of real estate, but it's awareness about Sotheby's full stop because, you know, it's very well known in the US and in Europe, but bringing it down into a market here, you really have to educate people as to who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you're coming in against brands, um, you know, that have been here much longer and very established and also to a market where real estate can be quite polarizing people's opinion of real estate people agents um so coming in you we had a kind of a multifaceted need to grow the the awareness of the brand shift the perception when the awareness was grown and make sure that we worked in an industry in a very respectful way and start to debunk the myth that agents are just in it just to make money and, you know, flip houses and and really show people that it's a very professional industry and that there's a lot of integrity, dare I say the word, because that's a very abused word in real estate, but there is a lot of integrity in this industry. Um, But more importantly, to educate them on our brand and the fact that those who do know about us um, don't perceive us as being elitist 
because we're not elitist. We it's the approach that we take as opposed to the the niche homes that we sell that's important for people to know. So how would you describe the sort of the mix of properties that you that you tend to to sell? Um, yeah. Because more, I guess when we were chatting beforehand, mm. my thought was Sotheby's. Oh yes, I've seen you know Sotheby's associated with with very high end yeah. you know high end properties, yeah. which of course you are. Yeah. But but there's you know there's a lot more to it than yeah that. yeah, and we are and absolutely we are and often we achieve a lot of residential records in New Zealand. I mean, uh, proportionately a lot more than other companies. And so that speaks to the fact that we sell a lot of top-end, you know, properties and we're very proud to represent those. But I think where the perception wobbles a little bit is that if you look at our stats, you know, year to date this year, for example, I mean, 70 to 80% of the properties we sell are are in that mid-market, you know, for New Zealand. Um, and in our regions, you know, we're doing business every day in family homes um, that are not these multi-million dollar properties that people perceive us to sell. Um, but I think where people just get lost in that perception is that what we're aiming to do is to take all of the learnings of that quality message that you're hearing, you're thinking, oh, multi-million dollar homes, but to, to, to take that into all areas of the market and say, everybody's home is important and everybody's home to them is important. So if they, if we treat that in that way and if they come to us in the same fashion with the same attitude, then we have a really successful formula, you know. Um, and so, so most of our sales are, are the, the, the higher proportion of our sales are not in that very niche top end, although we do dominate in that area. But I was saying to you earlier... If that was all we did, we wouldn't have a very sustainable business. And um, and that's not where, you know, we, we want to operate across the market. It's important. Yeah. So is, is changing that perception quite a long-term journey? So that's not something that you can you can do in five minutes yeah. unless you've got, you know, unlimited funds Absolutely. just, you know, falling from falling from the sky, right? Yeah. And I think that that's something that, a lot of New Zealand businesses uh, you know, probably have in common is that they want to get a message out yeah. there, but in most cases it has to be done on yeah, a sort of continual, right. long-term yeah. basis to yeah. build up this picture, this understanding yeah. of the brand and, and you know helping people gain some sort of connection with yeah. the brand. Yeah, it's you got to be patient. You know, you can't – it's – it's a slow cook, you know. It's a bit like raising a child, you know. You're not going to have them and suddenly they're a teenager. I mean, it feels like that, to be fair, but <laughs> but it doesn't work that fast. And so, you know, it speaks to the tenure of our people as well. I mean, most people who are in the brand have are still in the brand because we all get the journey, you know. And um, so, so we're patient, you know, we're patient. Um, we do a lot of research, like a lot of, companies whether you're in real estate or not and the the really positive thing for us is that the people who know us and who are aware of us not even just using us there's the sentiment scores are really high so we're really protective around 
we're happy to take it slowly. We're happy for the New Zealand public to just get to know us. Um, we're not in a rush and we're certainly not here to kind of, you know, force a message to people to say we are great. You know, that's not going to get us anywhere. It's back to that that discussion earlier. You know, people need to adopt you. You don't adopt them. So, you know, we, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And, and the more people that we engage with, the more the message spreads and and the better the outcome for us ultimately. And how different is that experience having worked, you know, with another real estate agent for those that are sort of working with Sotheby's mm. here? Um, yeah, how, how, how do you differentiate? How do you make that uh, that difference? Well, first of all, I'd say, you know, we um, have complete respect for every real estate company in this country. Everybody's out there doing the hard yards. There's plenty of business for everybody. Of course, we're interested commercially in growing our business. There's no question about that, as are all of them. Um, I have some great friends in other agencies and that, you know, and that remains so. Um, and we would never, you know, we're very proud of the fact that we we all operate in an industry where we are making great changes around the perception of that industry. So I think it's really important to say that because we are not in the business of, of, of knocking competitors. We're all in this together, you know, it's really true. The difference for us, I suppose, is, and the best way I could explain it to you is, and I say this to all of our new inductees, you know, if you look at us all as being in an Olympic swimming pool, we're all in our lane. We're all in healthy competition with each other, but we're all doing stuff that might be slightly different in terms of how we approach what we do. For us in the Sotheby's brand, you know, we're about, we're a premium brand, but premium for us is more permissible. You know, it's saying to you, Paul, you're allowed to have a premium experience when it comes to a real estate transaction. That's okay. You know, you are allowed to have that. And we put a lot of onus on our agents and the service that they deliver. And so we're not a big volume brand. So we don't have thousands of agents running around. We're actually relatively small, but it just means then that we can kind of craft that relationship with the agents. So the relationship internally for us with our agents is very bespoke. I would know, and I better live up to this, but I would know every agent in our brand in the country. I would have probably met 95% of them, um, as would you know most of our management. Um, and so the journey starts with the relationship we build with them so that the relationship they build in the market is very meaningful. Um, and then, obviously, we have that global kind of national thing going on as well, which is a big differentiator for us in the market. Yeah, so talk to that. How how much difference does that, that make? There will certainly be properties that you need to market mm-hmm. that you know, the, uh, the potential buyer um, might be more likely to be offshore than yep. than, than to be local at times, yep. right? Yep. So yep. Um, being able to leverage the, your network and so on. So how does, how does that look? Um, well, I, I suppose the way it looks is that the connection is not just an affiliation. It's actually real, live, warm heartbeats around the world, you know, so that's the first thing. So, and the world is actually a tiny place. And believe me, I know because I come from the furthest point <laughs> in the world. So, um, but the, it, it's meaningful because 
you know, there's loads of connections. First of all, agent to agent connection around the world is actually live. You know, we do this cross, not just country referrals like most agencies, but we're cross global referrals every day of the week. And I, and, and I mean that it's measurable and is, you know, and is real. But it's also because globally the brand is producing so much volume of collateral, I suppose. So clients of ours or people selling property with us have the ability to genuinely push that property globally. Not just I'll ring up a newspaper in London and say, can I put an ad in? There's actually programs in behind the scenes that mean that it makes it seamless for them. They actually don't need to do anything. Um, So that's the difference. But what we try not to do is we take all the best of what is on offer globally. So if, if a person selling their home wants that or needs that or their property, it's important. They have that option. Um, but we, we, we then take that and we bespoke it down into New Zealand. We New Zealandize it, I suppose you could say, um, because yet again, a lot of property is New Zealand bought and sold. You know, it's not all international. But it's kind of offering our agents a toolbox, I suppose you could say. And in that toolbox, they have global, you know, kind of activations they can trigger or they have national activations. It just gives us a more rounded ability to market a property. Yeah, we're all involved in selling in one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when it comes to real estate, what are the the key points of sort of, of selling? Um, because... When I sort of step back a little bit, I'm thinking, you know, you're selling all the time. You know, even yeah. when you drive past a property and it's got a, a Sotheby's or another real yeah, estate firm absolutely. sort of sign there, that's part of the, the sell, right? The, For sure. You know, um, yeah, how that sign looks, absolutely. what's on it right through to the, the handing over of, Abs- of the keys, keys or Absolutely. whatever electronic uh, mechanism is, is used to enter a property. Yeah. Um, and, and then I guess you're, you're still wanting to, uh, you know, to foster those relationships yeah. that, have, that have been um, established. Yeah. So, yeah, how do you kind of get that, get that balance right? You know, the successful agents, irrespective of, the type of agent they are or the approach they take kind of from a business perspective, the successful agents are all relationship builders, you know, and, and I know that sounds trite and I know it sounds like we've heard that before, but the truth is that's what it is about. It really is building relationships. If you look at what, you know, what you do in real estate, we buy and sell property and we maintain relationships in a, in a contact form. And simplistically, that is what we do. And we've got all the bits in between, like you put up the signboard and you advertise the property and you do all of that. But if you don't have trust in the relationship with the agent that you work with and your experience is not a great experience, then, you know, you're unlikely, you're, you're going to disengage, not just from them, but from the brand they're associated to usually. So the good agents just keep it really simple and they focus on the communication. For me, I would say if you're selling your property today, Paul, and if you're hearing from your agent a lot and they're keeping you informed and you never feel like there's a gap in that communication, that's great. You'll trust them to market it then. You'll say, okay, yep, I got it. They've got me and I I get that they know what they're doing. So 
there's a huge amount of facets to agents and how a property works and what they should do and how they approach it. The principal thinking for an agent, no matter what company they're in, is the same. It's just how that agent actually triggers those. And really, you're working for your client. The client should, and I hope, has a relationship with the agent that's very professional and sees them as the kind of expert. And the agent respects the client in terms of what it is that they're looking for as an outcome. So so it's all about relationships. And if the relationship isn't there, then you don't really, you, everything else is a waste of time, you know, so... There are a lot of different personalities, yeah. right, in the in these fields, and sometimes we see salespeople that are they can sell anything to anybody, yeah. but when you maybe look a, a little bit closer, the maybe the empathy is lacking, and and so on, and then sometimes you get people on the other side who are very empathetic, but actually come close <laughs> to the same degree. So noting those sort of different personality yeah. types, how do you? How do you help and, and who, who do you sign on as agents? But then as you get these different and, and unique people, and we all are in our own own way, of course, so many you know, similarities, but um, how do you sort of steer that? Because that ultimately mm. reflects back. And as, as mm. general manager for the brand, you want everybody to be reflecting in a reasonably consistent <laughs> manner. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, what... New Zealand Sotheby's yeah. international realty yeah. is and means. I mean, first of all, can I say we embrace all types of personalities, <laughs> and we do. Um, if we didn't, maybe I'd be out of a job. But um, you're absolutely right. I think it's probably in real estate, it's more apparent, the different personalities. I think that's the first thing. People see it because we're more exposed. You know, you're out there in the public all the time. Um, how do we help pull that together? Um, I certainly hope we do help the agents pull it together. Um, our job really is to support them, you know, in whatever way is required for them to be able to successfully trigger the things that work for them. And you're absolutely right. Some people are very empathetic, but maybe their skill set's not this piece. And some people are very kind of, you know, military precision, but maybe the empathy is slightly off or... But, you know, I'll tell you what you find. People gravitate towards people that they connect with. And so what what we will do is we'll give them all the tools, you know, and we we try to focus very heavily on training for them um, and bring, you know, not tell them what we think, but bring other industry experts in to talk to them and give them tips and tricks. We connect them together as agents as much as we can. We've just come off the back of a big uh, networking agent event up here in Auckland in August um, where they can talk to each other because you're never going to have a perfect person, you know. Um, you're never going to have a perfect agent who does it all brilliantly, but you have lots of great people who do lots of great things and we have, you know, proportionately a, um, a really incredible um, amount of agents running around doing some phenomenal things. So the more we get them together talking to each other, the more they're learning from each other. Um, and then experience counts. So, you know, we have, as I said to you earlier, you know, the tenure of our people is quite incredible. Um, I am based in Queenstown. And in that office, um, that is, you know, that region's our highest performing region in the country currently. And I know the other regions are all vying for that position. But... Um, <laughs> That, that agent cohort there in that region, we, we, we just, they've all been there. I've been there 
this long. They've all been there longer than me. So, you know, it can be quite unusual in real estate to to hold people that long. But it's because, you know, what they experience, I believe, adds very, um, it's quite meaningful for them. And, and, um, and the relationships they've built are very meaningful and they hold to them very tightly. So, so yeah, we, look, we do everything we can to facilitate them constantly learning and honing their craft so that they can be the best in the market. And, um, yeah, we're hoping, we think we are. <laughs> well, a part of the selling that you have to do is attracting those new yes. agents to to come to Sotheby. So, mm. how, you know, how do you do that? How do you, how do you sell people? That way. Well, you know, on the marketing side, we do lots of things. You know, yeah. we've just launched a new recruitment campaign. And again, I'm big on this notion of make sure you're identifying who you're talking to. So you're talking to them correctly. So we have a campaign that talks to different types of agents and it's particularly been developed for that purpose. And we've had some great results out of that. But the truth is talking to agents um and we've got some incredible people doing this work on the ground. Um, but th- those people talking to agents, it's, it's, a, it's a long discussion. You know, you, you don't have a coffee and suddenly they come over. It's all about building the relationship and, um, and making sure that you keep the contact with them. Because oftentimes you're, you're, you know, you're attracting people in from other places. And, and we do a lot of, we have a lot of agents that come in from other industry. It's not just coming from other real estate companies. And so it's just about, you've got to be patient and take them on the journey of understanding, you know, because they're, they're not, people are not just going to jump in. They're not naive. You know, everybody's smart. They get it. They get that they want to make the right decision. And so oftentimes the journey of recruiting someone can take some time. But as I said to you earlier, we're very patient people. (laughs) We're here for the long term. And we're fortunate that we're not looking to mass recruit. You know, we're not looking to do an academy of 100 people. We're we're picking, you know, one person at a time and making sure we get the right people. Here in Britomart, for example, um, our managing director of this region here, Chris Jones, is an absolute incredible person to recruit he's just recruited here in the office our new office down in Britomart and we've got some incre- it's crazy the incredible people that he's bringing in and it's just the culture it just you know you feel it when you walk into that office these days you know it's just phenomenal so we're patient and we get that people need to get to know us but we all like each other and so we're hoping that they like us too <laughs> Yeah, and I guess that that matches sort of the, you know, the sales cycle and uh, in other sectors, doesn't it? Where there, yes, there are some things that are easy to sell, and it's Absolutely. and it's a and it's a quick sale, and yep. it's uh, done and dusted very very quickly. But those same sort of lessons apply, don't yep. they? I mean, I worked in the car industry, like I said, it with Ford, and we were, you know, we were going through a cycle of people considering a new car is 18, at the time, was 18 months out. So we were starting back there. It's exactly that. Good things take time, you know. I mean, that's a great famous ad line. And it's it's absolutely true. Don't rush it for them and don't rush it for us. It's too important. It's too important. Everybody that joins us, it's too important that it fits for them and it fits for us so that we're growing this team by degrees. So we have... 
a lot of plans in New Zealand, but it all comes with time. Fantastic to chat with you, Clover. Now, a question that we like to ask is if you could give our audience one one piece of advice uh, that they could take away and action tomorrow, what, what might that be? I don't want to sound cliched, but I would say be real, be yourself. You know, just because you step outside your front door and go to work in the morning don't change, you know, be your real self, be authentic. You know, people connect to people. Ultimately, we can, I heard somebody say, you know, there's a $10 million um, machine in a hospital that does this. But at the end of the day, if the doctor who comes around to break the news to you isn't empathetic and connected to you, then all the machinery in the world's not going to help you. And um, I think what you've got to remember is that we're all just people on this planet living a life and, um, I'm interested in people, and I love that aspect. And I think if we're all just respectful and kind, we'll have a good life. Makes all the difference, doesn't it? it? Makes all the difference, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for, for joining Pleasure. us on the New Zealand Sales Pleasure. and Marketing Insider. We'll look forward to uh, to following what's next uh, <laughs> for you and for Sotheby's International Realty here in Thanks, New Zealand. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure to be yeah. here. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening in to this episode of the New Zealand Sales and Marketing Insider. If you enjoyed it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, such as New Zealand Everyday Investor, NZ Business Podcast, This Climate Business, and more, head across to podcasts.nz. And if it's technology expertise you're after, for a small to medium organisation, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. And special thanks to our friends at 40 Thieves Nut Butters. Listeners to the show can get a 20% discount when purchasing online. Just go to 40thieves.co.nz and use the promo code INSIDER20. See you next time.